0: Um, so uh, in Mark 11 Jesus cleansed the temple creating a good bit of uh, concern on the part of the Jewish leaders who saw him as doing something he had no right to do and their temple and they challenge him as to his authority for that and the The tensions are growing. the conflict is escalating. They're trying they're out to get Jesus. Jesus is trying to point out to them the serious consequences of their uh, plots to kill him, and uh, so forth. And so uh, these are very tense uh, conversations uh, that we're seeing in all of this. And so, Mark chapter twelve, would somebody read one to twelve.
1: And he began to speak to them in parables. A man found a vineyard, and put a wall around it, and dug a vat under the winepress, and built a tower, and rented it out to vine growers, and went on a journey. And at the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers, in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. And they took him, and beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent them another slave, and they wounded him in the head, and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and that one they killed and so with many others, beating some and killing others. He had one more to send, a beloved son. He sent him last of all to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those vine growers said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine growers, and will give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read this scripture? the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone? This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to seize him, and yet they feared the multitude, for they understood that he spoke the parable against them, and so they left him and went away.
0: All right. In this parable, you've got a man who plants a vineyard and takes great care of it. Now, this parable is not spoken in a vacuum. Uh... Because some of the imagery of this is would already be known to people who studied the Old Testament. In fact, uh, in my Bible, uh, they even show part of verse 1 in the small caps that indicate it's a quotation or a citation or whatever. Do you know where that comes from? Isaiah 5, where God had done all this for this vineyard Isaiah 5 Isaiah sings the song of his beloved, but how his beloved had taken such great care of this vineyard and he was in expectation of receiving good grapes and the really aggravating irritating thing is it only produced worthless grapes and the the parable in Isaiah 5 is explained that the vineyard relates to to God's people that God had taken care of so well, and they didn't produce the good fruit of righteousness and and uh, all that they were supposed to. And so, from that basis, we already kind of have an a, a, a hint of what Jesus would be talking about when he starts telling about this vineyard that this man took care of. You would assume the man's probably God. And you would assume that the vineyard relates to God's people. But he changes this. This is not exactly the same story as Isaiah 5. You know, he takes kind of the the basic idea and then modifies it because he's going to teach a different lesson. So in this story, what does the guy do after he's uh, gotten the vineyard all spruced up?
1: He trusts it to others or rents it or... Yeah leases it or
0: something. Yeah, and does about what would happen a lot of times today if you had a piece of farmland that you rented out or leased out. It's fairly common, I think, or at least it has been, to rent out some farmland for a share of the crop, as opposed to a cash rent. It's, uh, you know, you get your percentage of whatever the farm is producing. And so that's the idea of this. And so at a harvest time, the time when the, the crop comes in, the owner sends slave to receive his part of the crop. And what happens? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They mistreat the the slave that came to get the the crop rent and send him away empty handed. So what does this owner do? Send another. Send another, and what do they do with him? Same thing. Yeah, wounded him in the head, sent him away. So what does he do? Then? And another. And another. <laughs> what do you think about the owner of this vineyard?
1: Well, that wouldn't be the wisest, the, the wisest business choice today.
0: <laughs> yeah. Would you do that if you were the owner of the vineyard? Would you just keep sending more slaves? I'm running out of slaves. (laughs) What? Because they're even killing some of them. The others they're beating. They're not paying rent to any of them. Uh, And and this this owner of the vineyard has some rather unreasonable patience with them. And uh, what farmer in his right mind would do what he does next? What's he do next in verse 6? sends his son. Well, they'll surely respect my son. Would you surrender your son over to tyrants like this? uh, Wow. And what do they do when they see the son? They think they've got a man. We'll we'll kill him. And we'll take over the vineyard for ourselves. Kind of the idea, I think, is that, you know, if he's sending his son, then uh, you know you don't have uh, you don't have an heir you know they kill the son and maybe they've assumed that the, fa- the father uh, the owner of the vineyard is, is deceased or whatever they could they can maybe just you know take over yeah
2: Well, it almost seems to me that, that they think that if they take out the heir that the owner upon liquidating his his belongings is going to say well you guys have done such a nice job taking they they it sounds to me like they're still expecting him to bequeath this vineyard to them.
0: Yeah, or maybe to bequeath it to the son that won't be there, and therefore, you know, there's, you know, nothing uh, nothing left. Uh, nobody left to claim it. You know, it's kind of like, you know, nobody's going to be there to take it over. It's is an
2: is interesting thought throughout this whole terrible year. For, for that situation, they had to enter into a covenant. The the, right. the the sharecropper and the owner enter into a covenant and so what we see is the, the owner is still being faithful to his side of the covenant while the farmers are being unfaithful to their side of the covenant
0: yes you're exactly right and normally the unfaithfulness on the part of one breaks the covenant and you know it's amazing that he's continuing to take care of them like this come on in Ladies and gentlemen, we are in Mark chapter 12, looking at uh, the parable in 1 through 12. And so, you know, he asked the question after, they, after these uh, people were renting the vineyard, have managed to abuse and even kill all the servants he sends to get the crop and then kills the son, he asks the question in verse 9, what will the owner of the vineyard do? And then Jesus answers his own question. He'll come and destroy the vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. Duh. (laughs) You know, I'd have done it a long time before. But uh, you can certainly see why the vineyard owner would finally get fed up and would not allow these vine growers to continue in possession of his vineyard. Now, do you see the lesson? I think most of this is fairly obvious. As we already said, the owner of the vineyard is God. The vineyard represents... Here maybe the vineyard represents just the blessings that God gives to his people. And who would be the preliminary servants that were sent to collect the crop? The prophets. The
3: prophets.
0: Maybe even including John the Baptist. And who would be the son that the owner sends? Jesus. And uh, so these these renters that are doing all this would be the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, <coughs> the very ones who are going to fulfill this parable by killing the son. It's kind of ironic that they... Uh, They go ahead even after he says this and and fulfill what this parable says. And God was going to destroy the Jewish nation, the Jewish leaders, and give his blessings to others, even including Gentiles who come to God by faith. And so what Jesus is doing here is showing the serious consequences to their rejecting him. When they kill him, they are simultaneously putting the last nail in their own coffin. They will be punished by God, and his blessings will be taken away from them. And part of this, I think, would certainly be fulfilled 40 years later when the Romans destroyed the Jewish nation in Jerusalem. Do you have comments and questions through verse 9?
1: Would it apply all the way back to, I mean, uh, you know, Israel and Judah and the prophets, all the way through that time period? I mean, doesn't isn't there other places where it talks about, you know, which one of the prophets did you not sure uh, kill or?
0: Yeah, I think he's thinking all the way back in the Old Testament prophets and all the ones that God sent to try to. Bring good fruit forth from these people, and they constantly destroyed them. And so it's almost like accumulated guilt for this nation over <coughs> a period of centuries.
1: So he he planted his vineyard all the way back with Abraham and, and the Israelites sure. throughout the entire thing, and has never received any fruit. So he continued to send people trying to reap from it. And I mean, there's lots of comparisons you can make but just over and over uh,
0: the patience and waiting and the amazing patience of God you know I mean you can't say that you know these people have any complaint coming the Lord is so patient but it's very clear that the time for patience has run out They will be punished. Have you not read even this scripture? He quotes from Psalm 118 the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Now that's a little different figure. What, What does this stone represent?
2: foundation of of everything is where it all starts.
0: Which is Jesus. Jesus. Who were the builders who rejected Jesus? I think again
1: it could apply all the way back, but at this point it would be the current priests, Pharisees, whatever that are running the religion, they're running the vineyard,
0: and they're they're building their own version of it. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, they're working on the foundation of their building. They come across this particular stone. And, you know, you'd inspect the stone and see if it would, uh, you know, be appropriate for you to use in your building. Well, Jesus didn't make measure up to their quality standards. <laughs> you know, they came across this stone and they, they threw it out. Now we can't use this one. And the amazing thing is God took that very stone they threw out and made that stone the principal stone in his building. Clearly there's a difference between the building, the religion that the Jewish leaders were building, and what God was building, because God takes the stone they reject, and makes it his cornerstone. Adam? For a long time I read that, and it kind of had the
2: picture in my mind, that they took this stone, and there was the stone had... In the analogy, I would think that the stone had some type of defect. They looked out. Oh, that's not. That's not what we want. But the problem was with them. Yes. That they missed the perfect stone. Is what happened.
0: Yeah. Well, they weren't trying to build the perfect building. <laughs> so Jesus, as a stone, didn't fit their building. I think, in some ways, there's a lot of different ways to look at that. But uh, you know, they were they were building a, a building that certainly wasn't. Uh, wasn't what it should have been and uh, obviously Jesus wouldn't have fit what they were trying to do. But the problem is they were trying to do the wrong thing. It's interesting that in verse 12 they're trying to arrest Jesus but the people's uh, appreciation for Jesus and respect for Jesus is slowing them down. But it said, for they understood that he spoke the parable against them. They knew what that parable meant. Uh, that's interesting. They, they and and you can imagine how would that make them feel? Make them mad. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Their blood is starting to boil even even hotter. You know, as he does these things, they're just enraged. And the fact that the people like to hear Jesus, I think, would have aggravated that. You know.
3: So are they upset because they disagree with who he claims to be? I mean, is that... A, so he keeps making all these statements that, you know, he is the the one from God, and yet they fail to agree to that, so the more he says it, the more angry it makes them?
0: Yes, but he's also characterizing them... <laughs> As people not bearing fruit for gods, people killing the sun God sent, as as builders that rejected the stone God wanted, and so forth. And some of it has to be landing with some level of truth, even though they reject that as well. Absolutely. You get more mad when somebody tells you something that's true, that you don't want to hear. You know, if it's totally bogus, you can kind of, you know, if the guy's a, you know... A certified idiot, you don't worry too much about it. But when he's saying things that are coherent, then it's harder.
1: Unless you're worried about your, unless your image is the only thing. Which, to them, it was.
0: Yeah, you're right about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, so if somebody, you know, if you're not really concerned about that, but you're more concerned about the N-word, then you let that stuff roll off your back like a duck. <laughs> but if you, if, if like them, that's attacking what they are. Sure. Which is all they are. Sure. Um, I mean, because they would have to you know, if they believed it at all. (laughs) You know, it just doesn't make any sense.
0: Well, it's not like they believe it, but they understand he's trying to attack them. Yeah, I was gonna say, I I,
1: I don't know that
2: when it says that they understood that he spoke the parable against them, I don't know if they understood the parable but
0: well, we don't know what that means, but we know, we know it was insulting to us. Yeah. Yeah. I bet they understood a little bit more than we think about what it meant, but I don't know. They don't, they don't agree with it. You know, they would not see what they were doing as killing the son of the father at all. They're killing this, you know, imposter who's trying to mislead the nation. You know, the one that none of the rulers of the Pharisees have followed after. Why do these, you know, idiot people, you know, try to follow after him? You know, and, and we're going to have to protect this, our nation, we're going to have to protect the people from this, you know, false teacher who's going to bring the Romans down. Now, they've got all their excuses. We have got plenty of justification for this. Uh, but but I wouldn't be surprised, you know, I may be wrong, I wouldn't be surprised they really do understand what he's trying to say. Is disagree with I don't think it's that difficult. Especially from the background of Isaiah 5. I think, you know, it's... I think, I think this would outrage them more. So you think the owner of the vineyard sent you. You know, and so forth. Anyhow, other comments and thoughts on all that?
1: So in verse 12, when it says, they understood that he spoke against them, that's both of those they and them and the Pharisees? yes. Okay, so you wouldn't say that the people understood?
0: Well, I don't think it's really the people that are out to get Jesus. They weren't the ones trying to arrest him. So in this case, I I, I think not. I I don't know what the people understood, but I think these are the leaders that are really masterminding the plot against Jesus.
1: But I think, I guess I'm asking, would the people understand that Jesus spoke, spoke against the Pharisees?
0: I don't know.
2: Okay. Do we even know if there are people listening in on this? Is this connected to chapter 11? Because he, he walked into Jerusalem, into the temple, and they started asking him questions. I'm,
0: I'm going to under the impression he was just talking to the, to the Pharisees and the Jewish leadership. I'd be surprised, but I don't know. I mean, much of this stuff has been public during this uh, period of time. Um, Yeah, I'm not sure there's something that specifically says.
3: Since they feared the multitude, um, that doesn't that doesn't nail it down that there had to be a lot of people there at that very time. But it, yeah, I guess I would have thought if they felt they could get away with something in apprehending him that they would have.
0: You're exactly right. I think they would have. And I mean, in this final week, whenever Jesus was in Jerusalem during the daytime, he drew a crowd. Anything else on the first twelve verses?
1: I often think about the, the cornerstone and uh, like the the picture of that and the fact they call it, you know, the stone of stumbling and a rock of a fence or something. It's like you're trying to build like we were gonna build this house and we come out in this yard and we find a place and we want to build the house and there just happens to be this great big stone in the corner just shaped like the house where it should be. And we trip all over it and, and finally rip it out with a backhoe so that we can put in our foundation <laughs> and make one that, that fits, fits our house. That's kind of the idea that, that I see in that. They just, it was right there. It was perfect for the building, and they just fell all over it and finally had to drag it kicking <laughs> and screaming <laughs> to get rid of it so they could put in their own.
0: That's the uh, pride of man.
2: That's not a pretend story. That really happens. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly like that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, we we should uh, we should study all of the construction passages while Adams here. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <Is> any <laughs> other
1: application thoughts or ideas? I mean, some some of it's pretty obvious. But
0: That's what I see. I got well, I mean, you know, just the whole idea that God expects us to respond to the blessings He gives us by bearing good good fruit for Him, and I'm sure there are times when there are people that God uses to call us to repentance and to bearing good fruits. And are there not times when people reject those, you know, and get mad at them and, you know, at least verbally abuse them? When they ought to be listening to them because God's using them to try to get us to produce the fruit God wants us to. So, I mean, in that sense, I think it's a timeless story.
1: And in the reverse, sometimes we're the Pharisees who don't see what's right in front of us, too. Yeah, that's true. You know, we, we make judgments, harsh judgments... Um, And don't recognize God's servant.
0: Yeah, Don't recognize the sun, don't recognize the stone. I mean, it's it's easy to be blind to what God's actually doing. So that's another good application. Adam? Well, and
2: here, this is the spin on this is a negative spin. But the uh, illustration of our relationship with God is still a good illustration. That, you know, if they had shared their blessings uh, with the when you the owner when he sent his representative to come, then things could have gone on for you know. It would have been an ideal relationship, and where we are in a covenant relationship with God, and just like the relationship the Israelites had, that if we fulfill our part, God will be there to fulfill His. Good point.
3: I like your comment too about. They were building something different than God was building, and like Anita was alluding to, so often we can do the same thing, and yet we don't see it. We think, "Oh, I'm, 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 traipsing right down God's path, doing exactly what He wants, and yeah. and I'm just following my own way."
0: leads obviously to the Jewish leaders trying to figure out some way to discredit Jesus they come to him with a series of questions and conundrums to try to make him look bad and uh, that's not a very smart thing to do when you're dealing with Jesus you know anytime you try to trap him it'll spring back and catch you and that's exactly what happens and it's amazing the poise of Jesus, the incredible answers he gives, the th- one of the things you see about Jesus, you can get an enemy coming to Jesus with what they think is the perfect trick question, the perfect you know corner they're going to move him into that he can't get out of. and Jesus gets out of it without any problem. But beyond that, he uses it as an occasion to teach some of his most splendid and profound lessons. It's almost like Jesus likes to be trapped. It gives him an occasion to actually give even greater insights into deep principles. That's incredible. You know, some people might, you know, be able to escape traps, but who can do that and and capitalize on the opportunity to teach like Jesus taught so Jesus is amazing and I think nowhere more amazing than how every group of Jewish leaders has their own favorite way to try to get him and ah, it's incredible how he answers all of this it's amazing so let's look at some of that 13 to 17 And they sent some of the Pharisees
3: and Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one. For you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay, or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him.
0: So what two groups are banding together to get Jesus with this question? Pharisees Now, we really don't know anything historically about the Herodians other than the fact that if Herod is in their name, we assume they were a pro-Herod party. That would be pro-Rome, because the Herods had cozied up to Rome in order to get the dominance in the governorships of that area. The Pharisees were very anti-Rome. They were a patriot party. So we've got two groups that were diametrically opposed to each other who are joining together to try to get Jesus. And perhaps the fact that they're opposed to each other whichever, whichever way Jesus goes you know, one side or the other be able to take his statement and, and, and discredit him. Um, and and the, the bottom line question is, is it lawful to pay this tax to Caesar or not? <coughs> now Think just superficially for a minute about the problem that gives Jesus. If he says, don't pay the tax, what will the consequences be? We'll reason like they did back at the end of chapter 11. What will happen if he says, don't pay the tax? Treason. Yes. And they can accuse him before Rome, and Rome will deal with it. What if he says, do pay the tax? And he's subjecting himself to man. And therefore what would the consequences that be?
2: He's not God.
0: Yes. And, and and for the Jewish people, that would look like he's selling out. They're supposed to be God's people, God's nation, and he's telling them to pay taxes to this pagan nation. So either they're gonna discredit him before the Romans who would execute him, or before the people, who will turn on him. That's what they think. That's how they've reasoned this out, it seems to me. They sort of got him in a dilemma, where either way he goes, they can can use it to, to either directly get him executed, or indirectly turn the people against him and get him executed. However, I think they have a preference as to which way Jesus answers this. And that brings me to this rather elaborate introduction to the question in verse 14. They came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are truthful. And defer to no one, for you're not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Now, why go through that whole rigmarole? Which, of course, wasn't what they thought, but why do they say all this? For the people to hear? I don't think so. I think it's for Jesus to hear. Seems like
1: they're leaning towards him not paying the tax because he defers to no one. Yes.
0: So what would you say they're trying to do here?
1: They're preferring he not paying answer a certain way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You get
1: rummed to do the dirty work.
0: You're right. That's, that's the bottom line. But why do they? Why will what they say here make him more inclined to say, "Don't pay the tax"? He's
1: almost trying to use scripture against him, type of thing, like the devil
0: did. Yeah, maybe Adam. Yeah.
1: Well, they they're they're
2: trying to pile on their question, and I say that if he says. Not to pay the tax, then really, or if he says to pay the tax, then what he's saying is that he does defer, and so it would therefore add to the they're associating whether or not you pay tax to make sure that he would be discredited if he answers not to pay the tax.
0: Okay, I'll buy that, but I don't really think that's uh, that's so much where they're going In, in Matthew's account in Matthew 22. And verse 16, they actually didn't come themselves. The, the Pharisees sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians. Now, I take it that meant they're sending some guys, more or less incognito, that Jesus wouldn't uh, wouldn't know who they were. Um, and, and in Luke's account, Luke 20, 20, so they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous, in order that they might catch him in some statement, so they could deliver him to the rule and authority of the governor. Now, so there's actually, they were actually sending some guys that they think Jesus won't recognize, that are posing as, as, as sincere questioners, as righteous men. So they are imagining that Jesus will listen to what they say, um, and accept what they say. So go back to what he what they say in Mark. I could be wrong. I may be getting too much out of this, but, but I'm thinking. Now, why are they thinking? Why are they saying this? Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Now, when they said all that stuff to him, I think they're trying to do something. Anybody on my wavelength yet? What are they trying to do? Well, if you tell somebody those things, we've got a word for that. Butter him up. Flattery. Butter him up. I think flattery. People use flattery. For various reasons. Sometimes you just use flattery to get somebody to like you. But not always. I don't think they're using this flattery to get Jesus to like them. What are they trying to do with this flattery? Appeal to his pride. pride?
1: Make him answer it the way you want
0: to. Do you understand why this flattery, this appeal to his pride, would make him answer it? Don't pay taxes to Caesar what if he actually believes what they say you know what they're thinking Jesus will think you know they're right I am truthful I don't defer to anybody I'm not partial any I don't care whether it's the Roman emperor or who it is I just lay it on the line I just the way of God and truth you know they're trying to get him to sort of be puffed up and think well I don't have to worry about some Roman emperor <clears throat> You know, they recognize. I don't defer to anybody. I'm my own man. You know, I'll tell it like it is. And they think that Jesus will be will be carried away with this flattery enough to say something reckless. You know, because you tell somebody, man, you know, you're the kind of guy. You don't worry about who doesn't like it. You'll just you'll just tell them the way it is. You know, I've noticed that about you. You know, you're not afraid of anybody. You're not afraid of anything. You just really you just you just say it. Not, what, what are you trying to egg somebody on to do? Well, to be reckless, to just, you know, say something that, you know, the authorities are going to be opposed to or whatever. So I think they're trying to manipulate Jesus. They're trying to mess with his head. They're trying to get him to believe them and think, well, yeah. Well, I'm not going to say something, you know, and worry about what the Roman, Roman Empire is going to say about that. Does that make sense? That's the way I look at that. And uh, they underestimated Jesus. <laughs> you know, Jesus is not going to listen to flattery and let that change the thing. Jesus committed to the Lord. You're not know I enough, mean? flattery means nothing to Jesus. Well, in the first place, he knew who they were and he knew what they were trying to do. But you know, we're so often influenced by flattery. To 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 try to impress somebody, to be prideful, to be reckless. You know, somebody comes to you and tells you, oh, wow, you're this and you're that and you're the other thing. And pretty soon we start believing it. That's dangerous. Anybody who tries to tell us how great we are, quit. Don't ever let those words go, go in past the eardrums, you know, because that, that's going to hurt us. Um, and Jesus is so perfect in what he does here. He's just amazing. Jesus doesn't answer the question at first. What does Jesus tell them to do? <laughs> Why you test me?
2: Bring me a
1: denarius so that I may see
0: it. Do you know what a denarius was? A coin. Yeah. Bring me one of these coins. It'd be like saying, you know, bring me a dollar bill. Now, don't you imagine they wondered what in the world Jesus wanted with a one of their coins? You know, a denarius would have basically been the amount for a day's work. So it suppose a coin worth a decent amount. But not huge. You know, somebody had it after they'd worked for a day. So so they bring him one. <laughs> they, you know, they, they had those things. They used it. And uh, but I'm sure they had no idea what's that. They're gonna go along with him. They really want him to answer this question, you know, because they got him on the horns of a dilemma, so they think. <laughs> and so did they bring one? So what does Jesus ask him?
1: Whose image
0: is this? we don't use words like image and inscription very well what's Jesus asking them whose
3: pictures on that bill <laughs> whose
0: pictures on it and whose name. names on it I still don't know if they knew where he was going with that whose picture was on it Caesar's Caesar. whose name was on it what? what was Caesar's picture and name on that coin In our arms. Exactly. Why is that?
1: <laughs>
0: American. <laughs> yeah. Who 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 gives us our monetary system? The government. Okay. Same thing back there. It was the Roman Empire that was providing the monetary system. And you know, Caesar liked to get his name and you know, <laughs> picture on most anything he could. And so, you know, it was right there on their coin. Jesus, of course, knew what was on the coin. He didn't have to look at it. This is just kind of drawing attention to this. But now think about it. What if you found something that had somebody's name on it? What would that probably tell you? It belonged to him, Right. And it has picture. It had their picture on it. You know, you find a billfold and somebody's driver's license in it. It's got their picture. It's got their name. Guess what? It's theirs. (laughs) You know, the money in that billfold ought to go to that person, not to you. So Jesus says, well, now, give to Caesar the things that belong to him, and to God the things that belong to him. I mean, if you're carrying some money that belongs to Caesar, he's got his name on it. We'll give it back to him if he asks for it, of course. Not allowed to take something from somebody that doesn't belong to you. And then you give to God the things that belong to him. Now what can you say to that? (sighs) They have the right to take something of Caesar's and just keep it for themselves. (laughs) They don't have the right to do that. (laughs) Now in the process of that, that's a tremendous lesson. Are we supposed to pay taxes? I mean, we are. We receive the benefit of the government. The government gives us the money. I mean, it's the government's money. When it's all said and done, you give it back to them when they ask for it. Does that interfere with your service to God? By no means. Give the government what it's owed. You give God what He's owed. You pay taxes, and you serve God. It's not an either-or. It's both. (laughs) They were amazed at him. they had him and they don't. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? You know, I used to mostly believe in Jesus because of like the miracles, the fulfilled prophecies and some things like that. I'm more and more coming to the point where (laughs) I think some of these things impressed me more than even the miracles do. I mean, they're, they're deeper, they're more subtle, but it's like, who would have ever come up with that without divine assistance? And Jesus does that all the time. Since
3: he's the creator, he knows the creature.
0: <laughs> he knows the <it laughs>
3: creature. Yeah. It was the perfect question.
0: See seemed to me.
3: Exactly!
0: They'd probably been working on that one for a long time. <laughs> you know, this was—they—they—they they, they were working on their debate questions, their <laughs> cross-examination questions, and they—they'd all plotted and they'd mastermind and they—they'd they'd hone this thing down. Now, by the way, I think that there's a good lesson in this for us. Whose image? are we created in and whose name do we wear what does that say about us we ought to be given to the Lord yeah I mean really somebody you know if we've got the Lord's image on uh, stamped on us and, and his name on us we'd better give ourselves to him we belong to him we're his property
1: and whether we have his name we are born with his image.
0: Yeah, you're right.
1: So we need to give ourselves to him and wear his name.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right. And
1: so that applies to everyone regardless.
0: Amen. And you know, they can be all this self-righteous about, you know, we're, you know, we're not going to, uh, you know, submit to this pagan government. But they... They were carrying around this Roman coin every day. Yeah, you know, come on. I mean, they're using the Roman monetary system. You know, they're walking on Roman roads and you know doing all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's self-righteous business about well, you know. Well, we wouldn't want to, you know, lower ourselves to pay the taxes. Well, you've lowered yourself to accept the benefits. <laughs> you know, people are sometimes really inconsistent in that sort of thing. And. Uh, You know, we want all the benefits, we just don't want the responsibilities. Oh, well. Comments and thoughts on all that?
2: I don't know if you meant it this way, but I I kind of took it as almost like a slap to the face. The Pharisees as well, you know, give Caesar what is his, which they weren't. They didn't want to pay their taxes, but also give God what is his, and they weren't doing that either. They were doing neither of those. It was almost kind of like a. You know, I don't know if they took it that way As read that I was like hmm that
0: could really be insulting truth probably was they were paying the taxes and they weren't yeah. giving to God that's <laughs> probably the truth they even though they, they they're taking the high ground here I doubt that they were trying to get by without paying the tax probably cheating but you know probably paying some. but yeah you're exactly right the, the part about giving to God they, they need to
1: the bigger uh, surprise to them should have been his first statement why are you testing me <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. on to us <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> come on come in Mrs. Jeroboam why do you pretend to be another woman you know that kind of a thing <laughs> you know <laughs> Adam
2: it's, it's, uh, one of the other things that you see in the example of Jesus often is he answering their question should we pay taxes They're saying yes you should was not a wrong answer That's correct. But there was a better answer.
0: Yes. There was a deeper answer that put it in better perspective. And that, you know, lays down our... This is as good a statement about what we ought to do toward government as there is in the Bible, as far as I'm concerned. And it comes in response to a trap question. Other thoughts? So,
2: it's we really doing something good for
0: us even though you're exactly right that's how God uses uh, everything you know he turns it around to be in our favor but you're right they provided an occasion for an excellent teaching really helpful
1: I think it also you know Jesus didn't go through all the details well this government promotes this and this government does that therefore you know debate about all that it, it's your government and, and that's the same today we don't we can't control that for but it it tells you know god tells us there is no government except that which he established and it's there for a purpose whatever his purpose is
0: as far as i can see you had to pay the taxes regardless of what the government uses those tax monies for
1: right you know we we get into the bigger you know today that's the big issue and our tax rates are too high and they're doing this with it and they're doing that with it well, we, we can vote and do what we can about that, but ultimately, we're in the same boat Jesus was. They were crucifying people, such as
0: Jesus. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Was there anything very moral about the Roman Empire? You know, does that's not the point. The point is, God expects for us to pay our lawful taxes. Ron, I think you
2: can say that Jesus is going to use everything to His. His way anyway. You know, they thought they You're were doing right. him good and Jesus died and it helped them. And if you look back in Daniel 6 6, that's what they did to the king to get Daniel trapped. Yes. Because they knew Daniel flattered would pray that. and they flattered the king. Mm-hmm. And how did God do that? Mm-hmm. They ended, I mean, Daniel was punished, but it ended up raising God's name. The same thing with Jesus, really.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting in that passage. I mean, flattery usually works it does not with Jesus <laughs> I didn't see Jesus
1: after he
0: answered it just saying come back again tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> yeah do you see Jesus sweating bullets and getting all white knuckled and all that No, oh, you see Jesus well you know why are you testing me you know <laughs> bring me a denarius to look at you know it's just another question the course of business that day
1: like the
0: other one when he's sitting down the road on the ground while he's wait a minute you're supposed to be (laughs) you're supposed to be rattled by this yeah Yeah. and and that has to unnerve them I mean when they gang up on him one group after another nothing faces him he's unflappable I mean again there's no human being I've ever seen that's that poised and that confident eventually, they, you know, mistake themselves, eventually they, you know, look tense, you know, whatever.
2: It seemed kind of interesting to see that they sent other people to do it instead of themselves. They kind of gave out the task, and I can only see this group getting the memo here, go try and trap Jesus, and they're going, oh boy, you know, yeah. I would turn tail and run after all they had tried.
0: Yeah, yeah. They're probably doing it just so they can go incognito. But yeah, they—they they gave them a, a very, uh, um, you know, un- unpleasant task. You—you know? <laughs> you, you got the job of uh, tricking Jesus. Good luck.
3: <laughs> it makes me think of an email I got recently with a video clip of a one of these morning news shows where they were interviewing two individuals. Uh, in regards to Sarah Palin and her fitness for running for office. And I had a, a man who was a preacher of some church, and then some woman who was a preacher of another church. And they were supposed to be taking, you know, they did different sides toward it. But the man spoke very clearly and succinctly and accurately from the Bible. And he was unflappable wasn't attacking wasn't nasty but he spoke very plainly about what the Bible had to say and when scripture was twisted and contorted to make the other side he clearly pointed that out and the interview came to a pretty quick close because I think the two individuals on the other side recognized this wasn't going anywhere and again it just makes me it reminds me that when we speak as God speaks then the truth will be borne out and it will be very evident. And you don't have to be worried about it and nervous about
0: it. Remind you of Acts 4. They saw that the apostles and Peter and John had been with Jesus. And then they had the boldness and the confidence that their training would not have given them, but their association with Jesus did. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. We've got the Lord on our side. We can be as calm as he was. Good comment. Other thoughts? Well, let's try the next one. We may or may not get all the way through this, but uh, this is a pretty uh, intriguing uh, question. Uh, It takes him a while to uh, get this one out. 18 to 27.
2: And some Sadducees, who say that there is no resurrection, came to him and began questioning him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves behind a wife, and leaves no child, his brother should take the wife, and raise up offspring to his brother. There were seven brothers, and the first took a wife, and died, leaving no offspring. And the second one took her, and died, leaving behind no offspring, and the third likewise. And so, all seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. In the resurrection, when they rise again, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are mistaken, that you do not understand the scripture or the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the fact that the dead rise again, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are greatly
0: mistaken. So pretty much every uh, major group of political or religious significance in Jerusalem is taking a swing at Jesus here. we got the Sadducees' turn. And the Sadducees would have been a lot of the uh, more elite in Jerusalem. A lot of the priests, the temple leaders, um, and so forth were Sadducees. They were more the kind of the upper class. And this passage notes one distinctive feature of Sadducee belief. What was that?
2: Resurrection.
0: They didn't believe in the resurrection. Now, in Acts 23, we actually find out that's not the only thing that they didn't believe in. In Acts 23 and verse 8, the Sadducees say that that there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit. they didn't believe in the resurrection they didn't believe in angels they didn't believe that there was like a spirit of man that lives on after he dies so they've got the perfect riddle for Jesus you got this deal where you got a man who marries a wife and Moses had this law back in Deuteronomy 25 for some reason based on Latin I think we call it the leveret law L e v i r a t e. That's not important that you know that. That's not a Bible term, but that's what they call it. And the law was, essentially, if you've got a couple that are married, and the husband dies, they've had no children, then it's the obligation of the husband's brother to marry the widow, and the first child will be considered the child of the deceased for purposes of the inheritance and family name and so forth. It's a kindness the husband's brother does to him to carry on his estate and his name. Understand that? It's kind of the that that was the old testament law. Well, here's this situation. This man's brother dies and well the wife has no children, so his brother marries her. And well, he dies without any children. So another one marries her and dies without any children. Third one marries her. There were seven brothers, and by the time it's all over, they've all married this woman. None of them had children by her. And I've always thought by the time I got uh, on down uh, in that list, I think I might have, uh, you know, not wanted to eat her cooking. Or, uh, you know, a little leery of this whole arrangement. You know, Uh, I don't know what was wrong with that woman, but... uh, you know, they use this, I assume, strictly a hypothetical case. I mean, really, would you marry her if you were number six or seven? Uh, but uh, but their, their point is, if there were really a resurrection, well, what are you going to do about it? Huh, she's had seven men. Yeah, which one is she going to be the wife of? Is she going she to be married to all seven? I mean, you know, there can't be a resurrection. And that disproves it right there. And, uh, you know, again wonder how long they had to, you know, think to think that one up. That's a pretty good question uh, from their perspective. I bet you, I don't know, but i wondered if they hadn't tried that on the Pharisees a few times and the Pharisees hadn't been able to give them a satisfactory answer. Uh, But whatever, they think this will get Jesus. Any comments or questions about the question? The scenario. This is all about trying to about the resurrection, how they didn't believe this? This is all an elaborate situation, a hypothetical case to prove there can't be a resurrection. Because if there were a resurrection, well, whose wife would she be in the resurrection? I mean, she was one at a times on the earth, but they'll all be raised at the same time. So I'd put one woman married to seven men. You can't have that. I can almost see Jesus hearing this question and going, How did you come up with that? I mean, wow. It was ingenious. Creativity, yes. Jesus' answer is astounding. In every respect, his answer is tremendous. Is this not the reason you're mistaken? That you do not understand the scriptures or the power of God? Ooh, that's a zinger right there. Uh, the two things the Sadducees thought they best understood was scriptures and power. They thought they had a lot of both. It's kind of like saying that Wall Street knows nothing about money. You know, we don't know anything about the scriptures or the power of God. Well, he proceeds to show them first that they didn't know anything about the power of God, and then that they didn't understand the scriptures. He says, For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. The question doesn't even make sense if you understand the resurrection. There isn't any marriage in heaven. I don't even know if there's gender in heaven. There's certainly not marriage. And uh, you know, he says, they're like the angels. By the way. <laughs> yeah! Uh, which you also don't believe in. <laughs> so like that. Just get a little dig in there. You know, teach them a little something about that. Uh, (laughs) you you just appreciate Jesus is not only not um, you know disturbed but he's calm enough to actually uh, you know make a few points to them along the way and uh, so that answers that I mean if there's no marriage in heaven that question's no question (laughs) you know but he's not done there he could have been that answered the question but uh, he also said you didn't understand the scripture. So he said, but regarding the fact that the dead rise again. Now, you know, it's harder to prove the resurrection of the Old Testament. There's not as much clarity on the resurrection in the Old Testament. And 2 Timothy 1.10 said Jesus brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. There's more light shed on that question in the New Testament than in the Old. There are several things, I think, in the Old Testament The point to that. But... You could, If you think of the passages you usually use to prove the resurrection... I bet you they're, they're almost always New Testament passages. Um, but he finds the resurrection something that I would have never, ever, ever thought about. And yet once you see it, it's fantastic. Regarding the fact that the dead rise again... Have you not read in the book of Moses and the passage about the burning bush? They didn't have book chapter and verse back then. You know, but over there in Moses' book, that, that passage about the burning bush... How God spoke to him saying, I'm the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Well now, everybody knew God said that. But I don't think anybody would ever stop to think about what that meant. Now you've got to know the chronology. When God spoke to Moses about being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? dead and had been for a few centuries. Well, think about it. You know, any of you had a really um, animal that you really were attached to that died?
2: My chicken.
0: Yes. Which one are you thinking Chicky. about? Chicky. yes. You also had Henny Penny, didn't you?
2: Yeah, that was more <laughs> Diane.
0: <laughs> Chickie. Okay. Oh, Chickie was yours. Chicky. Well, Debbie we had Chicky. And uh, that was back when you were uh, late elementary school, junior mm, high school. First grade. First grade. Well, I when
3: I was seven, I vividly. Oh the my! Time. Wow! Serving
0: <laughs> <laughs> them. Oh my guys! Now. You know, annual memorial service.
3: <laughs> 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 we need <eat> fried chicken to <laughs> chicken.
0: <laughs> now, what would you think if I said, "Well, Chicky is, De- is Debbie's chicken. Debbie's chicken is Chicky. Is there a problem with that?" Chicky doesn't exist. Chicky's decomposed Sorry. by now. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's not. You know, it's not only doesn't exist. I mean, but <laughs> that skeleton may be gone by now. <laughs> who knows? Uh, there's no chicky to be Debbie's chicken. Now, you might say, you know, De- De- it used to be Debbie's chicken or whatever, but you wouldn't call it Debbie's chicken because it doesn't exist. You wouldn't call God Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's God if they didn't exist anymore. God's not the God of things that aren't there. That tells me and should have told them that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still existed. Now remember, they didn't believe in spirits. (laughs) So they didn't believe that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still existed. If they would have accepted the idea that the spirits of men continued to live, everyone accepted the fact that based on that premise, there'd be a resurrection. Because the spirit can't continue forever without a body. That's sort of presupposed. Um, So Jesus proves the resurrection by the passage of the burning bush, where God calls himself Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's God. But I don't think there's a way to overthrow that. They were gone for a long time. Either they still exist, or God's the God of non-existing things. He's not the God of things that don't exist. So, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were still around in spirit form, and there will, of course, be a resurrection one day to reunite their spirits with their bodies. As he said, he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. They're still living in some way. You are greatly mistaken so what an amazing answer comments and questions
3: it's interesting how he dealt with each of their uh misguided beliefs that they're that is that's revealed to us in this one response
1: he answered their yes hypothetical question and he answered their real question even though they didn't state that part of it I like that
0: he's amazing
1: <coughs> the part he starts out by saying that they're mistaken not understanding the scriptures that had nothing to do with verse 25
0: I think that has to do with 26 and 27
1: Is that? that's how I would take that and, it's a and chiasm the fact that he goes back again and says, you're mistaken, referring to his answer about the Scripture. Not, they're not knowing about the <coughs> no marriage in the resurrection. In other words, he starts to say, you're mistaken about the Scripture. By the way, when there's a resurrection, there's no marriage. Then he goes back to talking about the Scripture part of it, and again says, they're mis- they're mistaken. I've had someone tell me, well, see... That that part about neither marrying or giving marriage is nowhere in the Old Testament. So therefore, there are other things that that even Jesus understood as scripture that he's referring to, and things that we don't have written that have become part of the law. So there.
0: <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I might even ask the question. I wonder if there was any tradition along that line in Jesus' day. I don't think there was. I think this is new material even for for all of them. But regardless, yes, I think this is a chiasm. You're mistaken. You don't understand the scripture. You don't understand the power of God. As far as the power of God is concerned, God makes them like angels. As far as the scriptures are concerned, the passage about the burning bush, you're greatly mistaken. So I think it's a chiasm. And and he deals with the power of God first and then the scriptures. So I don't think he's trying at all to say that the scriptures... Uh, that doesn't make sense anyway. Scriptures means writings.
3: <laughs>
0: that's, what, that's what the word means. So he's talking about things that are written, not things that are, you know, orally. Passed out.
1: I'm assuming it is Sure, I don't know of anything in the Old Testament that talks about <coughs> the marriage and in, in the resurrection. No, so... No it's not like they would have had a passage that says anything about
0: that. And if they had, he probably pointed it out.
1: Yes. So, in in a way, it is a teaching here of something... I think Jesus
0: is revealing new information. New information to them. Perhaps information they should have trusted the power of God to be able to deal with. You know, you may not know the answer, but God's got the power to handle it. But he goes ahead and gives them the answer. But as far as I can tell, this is just revelation. Jesus knew they hadn't had that revealed before.
1: power of God referring to God's ability to transform this human life, the soul of this human life, into an angelic like
3: being.
0: Yes. That's yeah, cool. It is cool. Yes. It really is. This is an awesome passage. And all in response to this stupid hypothetical question designed to trap Jesus.
1: It is pretty amazing or sad how much weight we put into our own uh, thinking
0: or uh Yes.
1: You know, yes. It's got to be understandable by human minds or it can't
0: possibly be. Well, it's kind of ridiculous how much we'll let a hypothetical question control our understanding of the Bible. You know, we've all got, you know, what about this? Well what about that? That doesn't change what the Bible says. I may not have the answer to that. You can give me some, you know what about the guy who, you know, I don't know, the tree falls on him on its way to the baptistry. What about that? That proves you don't have to be baptized to be saved. Doesn't prove anything. You know? I can't I don't know the answer to all that. I don't even know if God would let that happen. You know? But but don't tell me that that proves that God what God said doesn't isn't true. You know, when people come up with all kinds of hypothetical stories and things and wonder, well, what about that? Well it can't be this then. No, go from the Bible to decide what's right. Don't go from your, you know, invented story.
1: It says something about the asker.
0: Absolutely.
1: If all of these do, which I guess is the, the comparison. It would have been, you know, you see these you think, boy, I wish they would have asked Jesus this question, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Did God creates something he can't live. You know, those types of ridiculous like
0: you're saying, it supposedly proves something. So. Yeah, yeah, right. You <laughs> wonder what God, Jesus would have answered uh, yeah. some of our questions, so. All right, well, our time is up here. But that was, that was a good good discussion. I appreciate you joining. Then I, I copied off my uh, moving map to sermon, but I forgot to bring it, but I'll bring it
3: maybe next week.